0: Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from the book of Judges, page 284 in the Pew Bible, page 284, Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 33 and reading through verse 8 of chapter 7, page 284 in the Pew Bible, Judges chapter 6, verse 33. Judges 6.33, Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abiezites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning, and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midians was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel claim glory for itself against me saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall be set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, the. Uh, late Professor John Murray of Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia published a little book in 1955 entitled Redemption, Accomplished and Applied. The accomplished part of his book was about the atonement which Jesus rendered at the cross. There our redemption has been accomplished. But then the rest of the book was how redemption is applied And that dealt with how people are called to faith, regenerated, and justified, and adopted, and sanctified, and glorified. In other words, how God takes the redemptive work of Christ and applies it to his people, gathering them out of the world unto himself, making them a new people, and preparing them for glory. That is redemption applied. Well, this morning we looked at redemption accomplished. And tonight, we want to look at redemption applied. We, want to see, we saw this morning that uh, Gideon made atonement for the sins of the people. He defeated Baal by breaking down his altar. He established God as the God of the land by building God's altar and offering on God's altar an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. But now, after that, uh, he... Uh, brings out the people, gathers them together. There's a great uh, revival. Uh, 32,000 people come out in answer to his call and uh, they are ready to uh, reclaim the land in light of the victory that has been won, to drive out the enemy and regain their inheritance in light of the victory that has uh, happened And in that regard, we want to look at uh, three things here, the outpouring of the Spirit in preparation for driving out the enemy, and uh, then the message of the miracles, and then the uh, sifting of the multitude. First of all, then, the outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, This uh, comes about after Gideon has offered a sacrifice of atonement. And because his sacrificing of atonement foreshadows Christ's atoning work, which Christ did, of course, in a much better and more effective way, the baptism that comes afterward is the baptism of Pentecost. And this is a foreshadowing of it. In the case of Pentecost, uh, the Spirit was poured out on many, but because this is only a foreshadowing of it, it's only poured out uh, by, on one man. But that idea is confirmed by the fact that uh, when the Spirit is poured out, a great revival takes place. First, his own townspeople, who just before wanted to kill him, are ready to stand behind him, to back him up. They're ready to go out with him. And then he calls the, northern tri- the neighboring northern tribes, and uh, we read later on that uh, 20, uh, 22,000 went home, but 10,000 remained. Well, that means that initially 32,000 people came out. Uh, this is in response to the work of the unnamed prophet, who is mentioned in chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, who was like John the Baptist, a forerunner of Gideon, preparing the people by calling them to repentance, and also the account of Gideon's defeat of Baal and the atoning sacrifice made. Uh, That report went out with the call to uh, the people to come, and when they heard, uh, the Spirit moved in their hearts to uh, bring them to Gideon in order to uh, serve with him. In this, we see the, uh, the prophetic uh, plan of God unfolding. First, the Lord's servant faces the enemy alone and wins, and then he leads the people of God out to drive uh, the enemy forces out of the territory that belongs to them. Uh, this is fulfilled in Christ who faced the enemy at the cross and now leads us in conquering uh, the world in his name, uh, the world which is our inheritance. We shall inherit the earth, uh, a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, later on, they would uh, uh, raise their swords to uh, scare the enemy and uh, conquer the enemy and drive the enemy away. And we too have a sword. It's called the sword of the spirit, the sword of the word of God. And uh, with that sword, we go out with spiritual weapons to conquer hearts and draw people out of darkness and into the light, so that they too may share, uh, share in uh, the inheritance that is ours in Christ. And uh, Martin Luther uh, saying, though this world with devils filled should threaten to uh, do us, one little word shall fell them. Namely, the word of Christ, the word of God, the gospel is uh, going forth, conquering and, uh, co- and bringing people into the kingdom. Well, that's that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit anoints his servant, and uh, in that power, the people go forward to conquer in light of the victory won. But before he goes to battle, he asks for some signs. Now, this is a very interesting passage, the, the laying out of a fleece before the Lord. I'm sure you've heard of people laying a fleece before the Lord, asking God for a sign whether they should do something or not. Uh, unfortunately, this is often taken out of context and misunderstood and uh, abused greatly. In the history of interpretation, there have all been all kinds of interpretations of what, uh, what Gideon did, what does that mean, uh, a lot of which has nothing to do with the event uh, in which it's found, uh, things totally out of context. But uh, the worst thing is that uh, people use this as giving them liberty to ask God for signs or gives them uh, liberty to try to interpret their, their what happens in providence uh, as uh, a revelation of the will of God because uh, Gideon asked God to do something uh, when we uh, we might be tempted to ask God to do something to show us a sign or uh, even more likely, uh, we see something happen and we say, this must mean such and such. And uh, we have to be very careful there. There was uh, a young man who showed up at Westminster Seminary when uh, Dr., the late Dr. Ed Clowney was a professor there, who said uh, to Dr. Clowney, I'm here because I asked God for a sign whether I should enter the ministry. Uh, He told Dr. Clowney that he had been at a religious retreat uh, in an outdoor setting where the speaker was urging the assembled people to consider entering the gospel ministry. And in this outdoor setting, there were two candles on a table in front of the speaker and the wind had blown one of the candles out. And uh, the man told Dr. Clowney, I prayed uh, asking God for a sign that if the second candle did not blow out, then I knew he wanted me to go to seminary and indeed the second candle never blew out and therefore I'm here at seminary. Well, I don't know what Dr. Clowney told the young man, but what he told us was uh, when he recounted the story to us was that the man didn't understand what Gideon did. Gideon didn't ask for a providential event that happens according to the laws of nature, which includes the wind dying down. I mean, that's a very ordinary thing. The wind might blow for a minute and then it might stop blowing. And uh, that's nothing nothing extraordinary that the wind might have stopped uh, after it blew out the first candle. What the man should have asked for is that the first candle that had blown out would spontaneously relight. That's the kind of sign that Gideon asked for. He asked for something uh, contrary to nature. I've known people who uh, have uh, been offered a job, a man is offered a job in another community, another state far distant from where he lives now, and uh, the salary is really attractive. (laughs) It's uh, almost double what he's earning now. But there's a problem. There's no good Reformed church there. There's no good Christian school for his children. His, uh, he'll be um, many hundreds of miles from his aging parents who need more help and will continue to need more and more help, but he really wants that salary. So he, he asks God for a sign. He says to God, God, I'm gonna put my house on the market, and if it sells, I'll know you want me to leave and take that job. Well, again, houses sell all the time. That's an ordinary event, you know? What he should have asked if he wanted to be like Gideon is, God, if you levitate my house off the lot it is now, carry it through the air over several states and land it where I want to live to get that new job, then I'll know you want me to move because you'll have moved me. Well, <laughs> That's uh, the kind of thing that uh, Gideon did. What Gideon did is ask for something supernatural. Now, why, he, why did he ask for something supernatural? Well, he wanted to prove to the people that God was the true God and more powerful than any Baal. You recall I said, uh, This morning that the Baals were nature gods. They were the forces of nature personified, and the people attempted to manipulate or influence the forces of nature to make the nature work for them. Well, dew is a force of nature. It's something that happens every uh, uh, time the weather conditions are right. Uh, There's dew on the ground, and when the weather conditions are different, then there's no dew on the ground. But whenever nature works, it's always it works consistently. <laughs> you don't have one patch of ground in the center of the lawn that's completely dry while the rest is soaked with dew. And uh, so he uh, laid out this fleece on the ground. And if nature follows its normal course, if there's dew that night, the ground will be wet and the fleece will be wet. But no uh it it happened well this first time it was the fleece that was wet and the ground that was dry so wet that he was able to wring out a whole bowl full of water and then just to prove that it wasn't a, a coincidence he asked for the opposite now some uh, wonder why why did he do this he's already seen a miracle god the angel of the lord already appeared to him and god has continued to speak to him after that he saw the miracle of the uh Food that he offered spontaneously ignited on the rock and offered up to God uh, as smoke, uh, the way God consumes things. Uh, Why does he need another miracle? Well, just before he asked for that miracle, we read that uh, these 32,000, although we don't get the number until later on, but we read that all the uh, people of his own town and then the neighboring towns, they all came and gathered. He's not asking for himself. He's asking for these 32,000 people who have all just been worshiping Baal, various Baals. He's asking for their account that they might see that the Lord God is the true God. And uh, he uh, convinces them also that uh, God is the true God. Uh, We need to uh, take note of the fact that Baalism although it's not known by that name, is rampant in our culture today. Solomon is right, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, Most of the world believes that nature is ultimate, and man is part of nature, and as part of nature can sometimes uh, control nature. Uh, You see people in our uh, society who feel that if we can just manipulate things, Uh, whether it's nuclear energy or uh, the science of uh, politics or whatever to uh, get things structured right that we can bring about a utopia on on earth uh, through natural means. Uh, Some people are hoping that uh, we will by nature evolve into a higher creature and so forth and uh, there was a time when people believed that that was the case although The history of the 20th century, the most uh, bloody century uh, uh, in human history, uh, ought to put that hope to death so that people will not hope in evolution but hope rather in God. But we need to remember that uh, God is in ultimate control. It's not nature that's in control. God is in control. Not a hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your Father in heaven. Your lives are in his hands and uh, we need to remember that. We need to especially remember that with regard to prayer. You know, uh, there was a king in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 16, King Asa. Uh, it says in Second uh, Chronicles 16, 11, Asa was diseased in his feet, but did not seek help from the Lord, but sought only the physicians. If any is sick, uh, uh, You should indeed call the physicians, but not only the physicians. Uh, Physicians, doctors, nurses, uh, pharmacists, uh, hospital workers, they are instruments in God's hands, he's in control. The Bible says, if any is sick, call the elders and pray. We sing, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Uh, God is in control. Honor him as uh, in charge and uh, your life will be easier. But now after he uh, receives these miracles and the people are convinced, God is concerned that the crowd is too big. Uh, I, I'm amazed that God says that because the enemy is uh, like locusts on the ground, which means they're beyond number and there's only 32,000, and even when there's 10,000, God thinks it's still too much, but I guess that says something, uh, not about God, but it says something about us, that we'll use any, even the least uh, likely excuse to claim credit for ourselves when really we should give thanks and praise to God. Even 10,000 people driving out a host that is a a huge horde, uh, we might uh, be vain enough to think that we did it ourselves. And so God says, uh, first uh, apply the test of fear. The uh, test of fear was one that Moses instituted in Deuteronomy chapter 20. He first instructs them in uh, Deuteronomy 20 verse 1 not to be afraid when they go to battle and they face uh, chariots and horses and so forth. He says, because I will go with you, so you don't need to be afraid. And then in verse 8, he says, Now, uh, when you do go to battle, the officers must say to the people, If anyone is afraid, then go home. Because we don't want your fear to uh, be contagious and cause other people to become afraid when they see you turn tail and run in the battle. And uh, so that was something they were supposed to do all the time. And God implements that here. He says to Gideon, "Let Let the fearful go home. Well, the vast majority of them go home. 22,000 out of 32,000 go home. But then God is still uh, concerned that there are too many with uh, 10,000 there. So he devises another test. Now here the uh, Hebrew uh, language is a little bit difficult to to translate and uh, some people have a hard time figuring out what's going on here. Uh, I have... uh, read a lot and learned a lot from others on this, and I think I understand what's going on. Uh, This is uh, the way it is that uh, God wants people, uh, wants Gideon to watch how people drink. Now, the way a dog drinks is it uses its tongue to lift water. It it kind of folds its tongue into a little cup and it it lifts that water up into its mouth. The dog doesn't uh, stick uh, its uh, face in the water but only its tongue, and draws the water up into its mouth. And Gideon is told to look for people who use their hand the way a dog uses its tongue, as opposed to getting down on your hands and knees and sticking your face in the water and sucking water into your mouth directly uh, from the the surface of the water. Now, why, why that test? Well, If you get down on your hands and knees and stick your face in the water, you have to let go of your spear, you have to let go of your sword, you have to, uh, uh, in order to get down on, on all fours and put your face in the water. And when your face is in the water, you're not looking about to see if there's any enemy about to attack. But if you squat next to the water with your spear in your hand and uh, stick your hand down into the water and draw the water up to your mouth, while you are still looking about left to right and uh, seeing what's going on around you, you are much better equipped to respond to a sudden attack from an enemy. In other words, these people who uh, lift the water to their mouth are the ones who are careful and cautious and ever vigilant, even as uh, Uh, We are told in the New Testament to uh, watch and pray, uh, to be ever on our guard, always alert and ready. Uh, Think of the, uh, the, uh, the virgins with their oil in their lamps and how some were prepared and ready and some were not. And it was those who were ready who entered into the kingdom. Well, God wants ever vigilant people in his army and with them he can do fantastic things. But when he is doing things through them, it it is made evident here and ought to be evident to us as well when he works in us, that it's he who's doing the work and he who should uh, get the credit. God's army is made up of those who uh, fear him and trust him and are not afraid of the enemy, who do not fear the world. Who are constant in prayer and diligent in using the means of grace. With such, the Lord can do great things in building his church and his kingdom, and he will indeed overthrow kingdoms and put all his enemies under his feet. Because uh, this event was not Pentecost, but only foreshadowed it, the Spirit fell on only one man, but now, The Spirit has fallen on all believers, and if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are clothed with the Spirit as Gideon was, and you, uh, together with your fellow believers, can go forth and conquer the enemy and build up Christ's church and hasten that day when Christ shall come again. Thanks be to God, amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and pray that uh, through it we may be built up and strengthened. We thank you for Christ who has poured out his spirit on the church and given us uh, strength to uh, follow him in uh, building his church and building his kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, be with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.